name is Steve Marshman. I'm one of the elders here. Happy to be here. Really excited about this first. We've been in a series called Real Love, and we're in week four of the series. If you've missed any of the other teachings, please go back uh, online to the website and, and listen to that. And as you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll hear this, that we as Christians, our goal, one of our main goals is to love God and love others with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to do that in such a way that it's contagious. We get everybody else around us to love God and love Jesus also. Paul says in this passage that we're supposed to have real love. And real love is sincere, authentic, genuine. So to accomplish that, the first thing we're going to do is pray. And today, uh, we're going to talk a lot about prayer. Sometimes when I pray, I just pray right out of the scriptures. So I'm going to do that. You don't need to turn there. This is Psalm 25. So pray with me as we hear these words out of Psalm 25 from David. He says, show me your ways, Lord. We pray that today. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Well, we've been reading through Romans chapter 12, and we're going to just cover one verse today, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. But we're going to want to read this whole thing in context because that's a good thing to do always. So starting as we have every week back in verse 9, Romans 12, verse 9. Let's read together. Uh, I'll read it out loud. You could listen. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then our verse for this week. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then Jose will be next, back next week to cover verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You notice that Paul's style here of writing is rapid-fire commands. He's going bam, 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 bam. Here they are. Do this, do this, do this. They're commands. And they're, they're not to be taken lightly. They're not just gentle suggestions. It's, it's, it's emphatic. It's be joyful. But we need to remember all the way back to the beginning of chapter 12. Why is Paul even talking about this? He starts chapter 12 with... In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view of what all God has done for us, all of his grace, we can now love one another. Because he is loved, we could love. And Paul gives us some good suggestions of how to actually pull that off. So today we're going to just focus on that one verse. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. As we say it today, I'll just warn you, at the end of the gathering, I'm going to ask you to memorize it. It's only ten words. Ten words, we can do it. If I can memorize ten words, I know you guys can. Uh, but like I said, the rest, of the, like the rest of the passage, it's a dense, packed uh, verse. So we'll, we'll take each section at one at a time. The first section is be joyful in hope. And I don't know about you, but when I first hear that, I might instantly say, that's a great idea. Thanks, Paul, for reminding me because that is really a good idea. But others of you are here today, and you might not be in a place saying that's a great idea. You might be in a place saying, I've lost my hope. I've had a tough week. I don't have any joy. I, you're, you can't, you've come here today hurting. And by the way, if you're here for the very first time, extra welcome. And we hope that you not hear from me today, but you hear from Jesus himself. Because he's the one that's going to actually give you hope and joy. So to really understand what Paul is saying here, we need to understand what those two words, joy and hope, mean. Because they're actually a little different back in the first century when Paul was writing. The words translated in our English, joy and hope, is a little bit different. Joy 
in today's English is pretty much equated with happiness. In fact, Webster's Dictionary says joy is a state of happiness. But when the Bible talks about joy, Paul talking about joy here, it's actually different. It's not a state of happiness. It's an attitude based on the promises of God. It's based on a relationship we have with God, not about circumstances. If you remember, when Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he starts out with the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, and then so on. So one of the reasons we have joy is it's not a circumstance. It's out of the Holy Spirit because God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit. You see, happiness is different than joy. It's based on circumstances. See, when I have a good meal, which my family, a lot of them are sitting down here right now, we get together most Friday nights and we have a good meal, and I'm happy. But if Shay, who's sitting down here, makes toast, she cranks it up. The next morning, I don't notice, I make my toast and it's burnt. And I'm not happy. Shay, I love you, but after you make it, turn it back down, please. <laughs> but joyfulness isn't based on whether or not I'm happy or sad about a meal. It's about my relationship with God. It's because I have placed my trust in him. However you want to say it, you believe in Jesus, you have faith in Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus, and when that happens, you are adopted into his family. You become a child of God. You're not born a child of God. You become a child of God after you've placed your faith and trust and belief in him. So I can be joyful when I have a good meal, and I could still be joyful when my toast is burnt. In a sense, joy is more permanent, and happiness is fleeting, comes and goes. So joy in the Bible is independent of happy circumstances. And James says it this way in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, which I warn you, if you haven't read this verse, this is going to sound crazy at first. This is what James says. Consider it pure joy, not just joy, but pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Like, what are you, you know... He's not an Oregonian. This is first century. He's not smoking weed, right? So what's he talking about? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we don't even lack joy in trials. That's pretty cool. See, James says, consider it, think about it, count it pure joy when you face trials. What he's saying is the trial tests our faith. And then because our faith is tested, we have to learn how to persevere through the, uh, the trial. And then the per uh, perseverance produces a maturity. So what's a mature Christian look like? I would say a mature Christian looks like someone who is going through a trial yet has joy. Like my friend Jamie Herring right down here with his wife Patty and his, and his wonderful son. Uh, Jamie had a trial of all trials. He, uh, he's a real healthy guy, by the way. Um, but as, you know, as we get up in years, things happen, and he had to have a back surgery. He went in for his pre-op, and they said, oh, before we do that press, uh, back surgery, you need open-heart surgery. That's a trial. That kind of that's a bad day, by the way. Well, Jamie had the heart surgery. It went great. A couple weeks after his heart surgery, you know, he and I, are, he's just a good friend to be around and so I need to go pray with him and hopefully bless him and you know maybe brighten his day a little bit so I go to his house pray with him 
uh, we just have a grand time. We talk about stuff. We laugh. Not too hard because it hurts if you laugh, you know. And uh, I'm driving home and I realize I was the one that was loved. I was the one that was blessed. I was the one that was filled with joy because of him, because of Christ in him, despite open heart, heart surgery. That's what a mature, a mature Christian looks like. So here's a dose of reality to us. Being joyful as we face trials increases our ability to love God and love others. Well, Jesus said this about joy on the Sermon on the Mount, another passage that on the surface sounds a bit crazy to us. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 11, 12. Blessed are you, blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, when Jesus says rejoice, it's another way of saying be joyful. He's not saying be happy when people insult you, but he is saying rejoice when people insult you because of him. And he gives us the reason why right there, because great is your reward in heaven. More on that in just a second, but let's sum up joy. Biblical joy is not about being happy in the moment. It's an attitude based on God's promises and it's an attitude that sticks with us, hopefully, when times are t tough. And we need to re always remember that this joy is flowing out of the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. So that's joy. What about the word hope? Hope also has a slightly different meaning. Hope in today's English is wanting something to happen, wanting something to become true in the future. So we can say things like, I hope the timbers win. Or we can say... I hope the Eagles win next Sunday in the Super Bowl. And right away I just figured out that there's more <laughs> Patriot fans here. But I hope the Eagles win. You know, we need to change it up a little bit. But when we, when we hope our team wins, it's about probabilities and odds and chance. Maybe they'll win, maybe they won't. Hope in the Bible is different. It's more about a waiting and an expectation of a certain outcome in the future. See, the Greek word that's translated hope in this passage means literally confident trust. It does carry this idea of certainty. It's not hoping something comes true. It's waiting for something that we know is going to come true to become true. Ultimately, in the Bible, hope is about a person. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Timothy says, Jesus is our hope. It can't be any more clear than that. Jesus is our hope. Why is that? Because Jesus is in the process of rescuing all of humanity from evil and restoring the world back to its original attended state that we saw in the Garden of Eden. We live in a world with TV and social media and news sources and satellite. We get to know about evil right away. So we're more aware of evil than we ever were before. So my prayer today is we're more aware of the hope against evil, which is Jesus. See, ultimately, hope in the Bible, frankly, if we get real practical, hope is about the last four chapters in the book of Revelation. The last four chapters of the Bible. Because this is how it goes down. Chapter 19, Jesus returns. He first came as the Lamb of God who took and took away the sins of the world. In chapter 19, he comes back as the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Chapter 20, final judgment day. 
Satan and evil and all the demons are put into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever, and there is no more evil. Chapter 21, Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth. And oh, by the way, he says he's preparing a place for his kids to live there. And in chapter 22, the Garden of Eden is restored. We live with Jesus. And then in that chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verse 12, Jesus says, my reward is with me. Tying it all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, where he says, your reward in heaven is great. And that gives us hope. So to sum up hope, hope where Paul talks about it, hope in the Bible, it's not about optimism despite odds. It's a hope in a person and the certainty that he's going to do what he promised to do, which is to come back. Now let's put these two words together because this is important the way Paul does this. He says, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. In hope, What he's saying is based on the truth of God's promises and the certainty of Jesus' return, Jesus our hope, we can be joyful. We can be joyful even when times are tough because we have hope. You see, without hope, joy dis- disappears. When you lose hope, you're going to lose your joy. That's why Paul says to be joyful in hope. And then Paul quickly, without even taking a breath, says, be patient in an affliction. And you got to love Paul. I mean, I think the guy's probably the ultimate realist because he's talking about joy and hope and be patient in affliction. It's pretty interesting to me. And first we need to ask ourselves, where does this affliction come from? What kind of affliction is Paul talking about? He's not talking about a hangnail. He's talking about serious affliction. And it can come from many places. The first place affliction can come from is from, from Satan himself. Satan and his demons, they can't attack us and cause affliction. Uh, Affliction can also come from our own sin. It's a self-inflicted wound, if you will. Sometimes our sin brings on affliction to ourselves. Or sometimes we're not necessarily sinning, but we're being foolish and we do dumb things. And that could result in affliction. Or sometimes it's just life in a broken world, like Jamie's heart surgery. It turns out that it was a genetic defect. Well, he had nothing to do with that. That's just life in a broken world. So what Paul is reminding the church in Rome, and it's a good reminder for us today, is that while we're living in hope, affliction comes. Remember we read James chapter 1, and the passage says, Consider it all joy whenever you face trials. Not if you face trials, but when you face trials. Because afflictions coming. So Paul says, get ready. Get ready to be patient. Patience here means to actually endure, if you want to look at it that way. Now, many of you have been to Disneyland, and when you go to Disneyland, there's a ride there that's pretty famous called Space Mountain. And I've noticed that every time I've been to Disneyland or Disney World, there is no ride called Patience Mountain. It doesn't exist because they wouldn't build it because who's going to get on that ride? We don't like patience. We don't even like talking about patience, do we? Uh, Well, I want to give you an illustration, a story about patience, and it has to do with my lovely bride, Vicki, who's sitting down here in the front row. Uh, She had a really tough 2017, and it actually started prior to that. About three years ago, her eyes started going bad. And I noticed it because the font on her Kindle, she reads a ton, the font was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And you know how you have to swipe for the pages? Well, pretty much it was just one or two words for a page. So she's reading like this, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, what's going on, honey? And then she said, my eyes are really bad. i got to really blow it up. And then, you know, uh, far vision, vision was getting bad and night vision. So we, we get to the OHSU KCI Institute, and they're doing all sorts of amazingly impressive tests. Uh, and all they say is it's an autoimmune disease. We can't really fix it, but we could put these incredibly harsh eye drops in your eyes. And then you could see, but the side effects are horrible. And so she lived like that for a couple years, and then 2017 starts, and the autoimmune disease starts going to the rest of her body. And she starts having really, really severe joint pain. And it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. And we're starting to change uh, our lifestyle and thinking about, you know, do, do we need to find a different place to live because stairs are horrible. And then, you know, my beautiful bride, you know, she's, she's a tough gal, but it was getting harder and harder and harder. And one morning she woke up. She was in so much pain, she couldn't even get out of bed. So I go over and just, you know, I learned how to do this with my mom when she was sick. You know, you just, I just give her a big hug, and I could lift her out of bed and, you know, get her going for the morning. But uh, it got bad, and it got worse from there, and it was getting really, really tough for her. But then, uh, praise Jesus, in the fall, we found a doctor who actually diagnosed her with something called polymyalgia rheumatica. And the good news is it's treatable. So that's what you want when you have something bad, right? You want to know what it is, and then please let it be treatable. So it's treatable, good news. Bad news is the treatment's harsh. She has to take some pretty harsh drugs. So she's been taking those, and the side effects are no fun at all. But she's having patience through this, which is amazing to watch because the joy of Jesus in her heart. So what's the point of this story? As we live in joyful hope, we need patience to endure, Vicky's affliction was primarily physical. I know the size of this crowd here today that some of you probably had an even tougher 2017, and it was because of not a physical affliction, but an emotional or relational affliction. And if that's you here today, I would just pray that you would keep on listening to this message as we go through, because sometimes those are more painful than than physical inflictions. You know, if I had a choice between losing my arm or, or staying married to my beautiful bride, take my arm, right? Physical stuff, you c I can deal with that, but I don't want to lose my relationship with, with my wife. So Paul concludes the verse after he talks about patience and affliction, like, well, how do we do that? I mean, that's hard to do, right? He says, be faithful in prayer. So he moves on to this topic of prayer. And I want to ask you, have you noticed that you pray differently in times of affliction. I don't know about you, but I actually pray more in times of affliction, showing how weak I am, because sometimes I wonder if God's sending affliction, so I would pray more. I don't think he does that, but maybe he does. Uh, and some of you pray less because you're distracted, so distracted by the affliction you pray less. But Paul's telling here is be faithful in prayer. The New Living tra Translation says, keep on praying. The Net Bible says, persist in prayer. So you get the idea. The idea is to be faithful, keep it up, persist. Paul is saying, don't give up on prayer. So why is he saying this? Why is Paul saying, pray? Well, it goes all the way back to the big picture of the whole passage, the whole uh, section here. And it's, it's because God loves us and he wants us to love, other, love others. It's because of God's Grace, he wants to hear from us. We are actually his kids. Now, we don't want to be the type of church that just tells you to pray. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but we want to actually help you to pray. So 
Uh, some of you who are signed up for the weekly have already seen that. We're going to have a prayer training coming up in February on the 12th, 19th, and 26th. Three consecutive Monday nights from 7 to 8.30. It would be wonderful if you plan on coming if you sign up because the people who are serving you are going to set out chairs and refreshments, and it will be way easier for them to serve you if, you if you sign up. So sign up for that if you have any interest in learning how to pray more. And instead of going into that curriculum right now, what I thought I would just do real quickly is share you my personal journey in the area of prayer. Because I, I have not figured this all out. I'm learning just like you guys are learning. But I have figured out, figured out a few things. Namely, I'm going to give you about five that I figured out real quick. First thing I've learned about prayer is prayer is talking with God, not talking to God. Because your, your relationship with God is such that it should be a dialogue, not a monologue. I mean, you think about my relationship with my wife. How weird would it be if I just talked to her all day and she said nothing to me back? That would just be weird, right? And that's the way it is with God. We talk to him. He talks to us. Now, I don't hear an audible voice. Sometimes I get a really strong sense of what he's saying. You know, and I'd love to get the audible voice. Or even an email would be better because then I can copy and paste it. <laughs> but, but, I mean, the idea is to have a conversation with God. Second thing I've learned, pray everywhere. Everywhere. You know, a normal place people pray a lot of times is in their home, maybe with their eyes closed, head bowed, hands folded, on your knees. All of that is good. But if you want to pray more, you need to pray everywhere. So sometimes in the car, I turn off the radio and pray. Sometimes when I'm walking, I just pray. For me, some of my most deep, profound times of praying with God and dialoguing is outside because I'm in his creation and it's beautiful. And I, for me, it just works better. Sometimes when I'm in the gym, on the bike, you know, don't look at the TVs. Don't listen. Just pray. So pray everywhere. Third thing, talk with God every day. Again, if you're, if you're in a relationship, whether you're married or not, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you tend to talk with them every day. So don't just do it once in a while. Fourth thing, sometimes prayer is hard. It is. And we, it doesn't make sense to us. Like, why is it hard? Why don't I just want to talk to the guy who saved me, the guy who loves me, the guy who has more grace than I can ever imagine? Well, it's because there's another guy, and his name is Satan. Did you know? Did you know? That Satan absolutely despises your prayer. He hates it. It's one of the things he dislikes the most because if he could stop your prayer, if he could stop your conversation with your father, your heavenly father, if he could stop that, he's got a foothold. So he doesn't like it. Five, and I think this is the biggest hurdle to prayer, at least it is in my life, in my opinion, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I think sometimes we actually question whether our prayers really matter. Why do I say that? Because if we really thought our prayers mattered, we would pray more, right? It just makes sense. Here's the bad theology that creeps into our thinking sometimes. It goes like this. What is going to happen is going to happen, so it doesn't really matter if I pray. If I pray. That's called fatalism, and it's not in the Bible. So what does the Bible say about prayer? It says this in James 5, verse 16. James says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And healing here, by the way, is not just physical healing. It's emotional and relational healing. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
So that's completely contradictory to what Satan is telling you, that your prayers don't matter and they're really not, they're not meaningful and it doesn't change anything. James tells us prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. Prayer matters. And then James, right after that, goes on to tell us this really cool story about Elijah in the Old Testament where he prays and changes the weather for three years and he prays and changes the weather for another three years. I mean, talk about effective. Amazing. Uh, I, I wanted to share you, with you a story about when I first started in church leadership back in 2004. I had no idea how many times I was going to be asked to pray with somebody. It just happens all the time when you're in church leadership. And it's fine and it's cool, but it really changed how I pray. Um, all sorts of things get asked to pray, uh, people ask you to pray for. A job, a spouse, a baby, a victory over some type of sin, help with encouragement to be a better fill in the blank, whatever it is, go, uh, the list goes on and on. But being, I think, a relatively normal guy, you, get, you guys be the jury, uh, I, I question sometimes, God, are you actually listening? Especially when a lot of us are praying. I mean, you ha- how do you keep this all straight, God? And then I remember he created the universe. Okay, oh, so maybe it's not that hard for you to keep this straight. But are you really listening? Does, do you really listen to our prayers and then go do something? Does it really matter? And this was the moment that really struck me once. We had two couples at the same time come to us. Both had been infertile for about a decade. And both asked for prayer to become pregnant. One got pregnant and one didn't. And that baffled me. I go, what do I do with that, God? So is... Whoever's going to get pregnant is going to get pregnant, and whoever, is that, is that what it is? Well, that is fatalism. So I started asking God, God, give me more faith in my prayers so that I could be faithful in my prayers. And then some stuff started happening. I mean, some mind-blowing stuff. Like this lady came in. She had a big tumor. They had gone in and marked out where it was, and she was going in the next day to get it radiated because they have to do that real carefully, otherwise they... You know, they get some other stuff, and they don't want to do that, right? So she goes in to get this thing radio, and it's pretty big, and it's gone. And it's not like it's little. It's just gone. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I really want to see the doctor's charts. So what does he write? You know, patient came in to get the tumor radiated, and it's gone. And then, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in our society with health care and insurance and bills, how do you bill that, Right? <laughs> Who do you send the bill to? I, I would have said, just send it to God. You know, <laughs> you know he's got it. <laughs> he's the one that healed her. I mean, he literally healed her. It just totally blew my mind because it was such a radical healing. And then there's another uh, situation with a couple. And I know there are some couples here that, have, uh, that are in tough times, frankly. That's just part of life in the 21st century. You get into tough times in a marriage. And this couple had gotten into really tough times. And it had gone on for years, and it was getting worse, and it was getting worse, and there was sin and everything. It was nasty. Uh, the, cup, the two people had given up hope. Their family had given up hope. Their community group is saying, this, uh, we don't see how there's ever going to come any good out of this. And then we prayed, and we prayed. And then one day, something happened. It had to be a miracle. One day, reconciliation. Now, still, there was baggage from their, their problems, but they reconciled, and as far as I know to this day, they're still married because God healed their broken relationship. You see, I found out from those times that I should never question if God is listening. God is listening. Our job is just to keep talking to Him, keep having a relationship with Him, 
keep communicating with him, and then let him do what he wills to do. But I do believe that God actually changes the outcome of events based on our prayers. He has enough power, enough sovereignty, enough grace, however you want to say it. His perfect plan has room in it for him to respond to us as we pray. And by the way, that's the way he likes it. Just like when you're a parent with your kids, you want your kids to talk to you. And you want to respond to them. You want to love on them. But you just don't want to just spoil them. So we talk to God, and he answers us, and he changes things for us. Okay, so that's the verse. Um, Romans 12, 12. Let's put it all together. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So what I'm going to do right now is do super practical three things. Just three things, super practical. And then we're going to have one deeper time of, of, re of reflection where I'm going to ask you, a, a difficult question. But let's just get real practical first. The first one, I already told you, I'm going to ask you to memorize this. To help you memorize this, I'm going to ask you for, to bring out your smartphones. And if you're here and you don't have a smartphone, I want to meet you because I want to find out how good your life is. Because <laughs> sometimes this thing, you know, the beginning of this passage says, you know, cling to what is good and what was evil and all that kind of stuff. You know, these phones could be used for good or for evil. Let's use it for good. So pick out your phone, pull up your calendar, uh, make a meeting for tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. I hope you guys are all doing this with me. Just be obedient and do it. You can erase it later if you don't want to. But pick, pick tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. How cool this is going to be that the entire church is going to have the same reminder at the same time. And what I have in mind is I just put Romans 12, 12 because I've already memorized it, but maybe you need to put the whole thing in there. And do something very important. Set it up as a weekly reminder through the end of the year. So on my phone, if you called me at 8.01 tomorrow, I'm going to say, hey, I just got Romans 12.12 popped up, and then you called. Um, I want to know this verse. I want to live this verse. I want to be joyful in hope. I want to have patience in affliction, and I want to be faithful in prayer. And I... I'm a weak person, so I need a weekly reminder, and I think some of you also need that. So put that in your phone, put it in as a weekly reminder, and by the end of the year, I think you'll be living this verse, which is awesome and a wonderful thing. So that's number one. Ne the second thing, we need to learn to apply the scriptures to our lives, because how are we going to love others if we don't know the story of God? How are we going to pray for people if we don't know the story of God? Now, we have just enough time here. I want to tell you another short story. We don't have slides for it. But how many people, show of hands, have heard the phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength? How many people? Just about everybody here. And I'm just going to ask you rhetorically. You don't have to answer. Where does that come from? It kind of sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? But it's not. It's actually out of the book of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah is interesting because the Israelites had been in Babylon for 70 years. Talk about affliction, serious affliction. And I don't care who you are, 70 years takes patience. It's a couple generations probably. And then they come back to Israel. And Ezra and the Levites are teaching from the scriptures, which they called the book of the law back then. And this is a cool thing. They taught from daybreak to noon. They taught out of the Bible from daybreak to noon. 
So we as a church are going to take that example, and starting about April, we're going to start having one big Bible study from daybreak to noon every Sunday. I wish you could see your faces. <laughs> There's a couple of you going, awesome, and most of you going, oh, no, i got to find another church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's the way it was back then. That's what was going on with Ezra and the Levites. This is what, uh, what Ezra, uh, Ezra says in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. What a cool idea. Read the Bible, make it clear, understood what was read. And then catch this. Nehemiah says at the end of the six-hour Bible study, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, which is Nehemiah's way of saying, go get a steak and a lemonade. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. So love your neighbor. Share your steak and lemonade. This day is holy to our Lord. Interesting. Six hours of Bible study, and that makes it holy, set apart for the Lord. And then here comes your phrase. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not a coincidence that he says the joy of the Lord is your strength after six hours of studying his word. It spills over into us. So Nate already announced it, but I want to remind you that study that's happening next week, February 4th, Vicki and I are going to help map out the Old Testament for you out of Kings. We're going to attempt to make it clear and give you some understanding of how the 40 kings go together and where the prophets fit in. And we're going to have a chart and we're going to have a, uh, a diagram and we're going to spend an hour and a half, not six hours, and just explain it to you. And hopefully make it clear. And oh, by the way, while you're signing up for that, if you want, come the following month. This is an experiment doing these first Sunday 8 o'clock things. The following month, we're going to talk about Hebrew pro poetry. Because one-third of the Bible is, is poetry. And I struggle with poetry, so I kind of figured out some stuff, and so did Vicki. We want to share those with you very easy-to-understand ways so that you could learn to love others with your Bible more. So do that. Go on the website and sign up. And it's good that you sign up, by the way, because, again, the people that are serving you, all they want to know is how many chairs, how much coffee, and how many handouts to print out. So be, be kind to your servants and sign up, please. Number three, we've already talked about. We need to learn to pray with others. So go to the prayer training if you, if you find uh, yourself compelled to do that. And in the meantime, when you get Romans 12, 12 on your phone tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, not only memorize the verse, do the verse, right? we got to do the verse. We have to not just fill our head up with knowledge. We actually have to live it. And the last thing in the verse says, be faithful in prayer. Your prayers don't have to be long. I love the Lord's example of prayer for lots of reasons. But i got to admit, one of the reasons I like it is it's kind of short. It's like, oh, I can do that, right? The prayer I read out of Psalms at the top, short, two verses. We could all do that. I would rather you play sh uh, pray short little prayers more often than one long prayer every month. So anyway, learn to pray. Now, that's the third thing. That's the last of the practical things. Now, if you would, I'd ask you to close up your Bibles. You're not going to need them. If you're taking notes, you might want to keep that out because maybe the Lord will have a word for you here in a second. Um, but put down your coffee. Try to get rid of all the distractions because I do want to ask you a serious question that for some people will probably help make their life better, change their life, so that they could love others better. 
And the question is this. Ask yourself, who is your hope in? As you sit here today, who is your hope in? Or for some folks, unfortunately, I have to ask, what is your hope in? Because for some of us, and I've been there, I have been there, sometimes your hope is in a job. Sometimes your hope is in a retirement savings plan or a bank account. Sometimes your hope is in you fill in the blank. Whatever the Lord's telling you right now that's in that blank, if it's not Jesus, it's time to change. It's, it's time to change because whatever you put in that blank that's not Jesus, it will fail you. I mean, you know if you've been to church more than a week, and if you're here for your first time, just listen to me on this. Don't put your hope in the pastors or the elders or your community. I mean, love them, listen to them, pray with them, but don't put your hope in them. Why? Because eventually we are going to fail you. I'm sorry to say that, but I sin. Anybody that's been around me for any length of time knows that. But Jesus never sinned. I think it's cool to think about the 12 disciples spending three years in very close proximity, they probably all knew each other's sins, right? They did. Like, he has a problem with anger. He has a problem with lust and on and on. They probably knew each other's sin tendencies, and they all knew that Jesus never sinned. They all knew that. You spend three years with somebody day by day, and they never sin. He's different. And so that's who we put our joy in, is in Jesus. Well, there's a couple types of people here today. It's just the reality of life in a Christian world. Some of you have actually never even once put your hope in Jesus. Some of you may be here for the first time and you've not really figured out what to do with Jesus. And you're still exploring. And I'm very, very, very thankful you are here. I was you one day in my life. And then one day in my life, back when I was 18, I started to figure it out. So if you're still figuring out Jesus be here regularly. Learn the scriptures and find out who your hope is in. And eventually you want to put your hope in Jesus. And I'm going to give you an opportunity when we take communion in a little bit after a couple songs to actually pray a prayer to receive Jesus if you'd like to do that today. But for the rest of us who are already followers of Jesus, I need to tell you this. If you're here today, your hope should be in Jesus. And if your hope is in Jesus, you will have joy. But reality check, sometimes we blow that too, right? I mean, I told you about Vicky's affliction in 2017, but I did, what I did not tell you is how she's had uh, a little bit of a setback in 2018. So last week, her symptoms started coming back and the doctors are starting to, uh, to adjust the meds and we're starting to have a discussion about this. And it turned into a pretty heated discussion not not because we didn't want to do the right thing, but you know how that is when you're a married couple. You have disagreements, and then the disagreements becomes a heated discussion. And then, you know, after a while, we're just arguing. And it wasn't good, but as was our pattern, we didn't go to bed without settling that and hugging each other and loving each other. Um, but in that state, you know, I, I was not in a good state. And the next morning, Friday morning, I woke up, and I, I don't know why this happened, um, but it happened. I woke up, and my plan was to work on this message for you guys today. And I woke up, and the first thought that popped into my mind 
is that, Steve, you are a worthless piece of trash. That's what popped in my head. I'm sorry, I cried the first service, too. The voice said, Steve, you are a worthless piece of trash. How hypocritical of you to get up there and say all the things you're planning to say. Now, where does that voice come from? It's from the enemy. It's the lie. It's Satan. Does that happen to believers? Absolutely. Has that happened to some of you this week? I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. And then you lose hope. And then you lose joy. Hopefully you have somebody in your life, like I have Vicki in my life, and I went and told her about this. And I said, Vicki, this is, this is what I'm, I'm hearing. And she said three words. And I love my wife, I tell you. Because <laughs> I say too many words. She can say everything I say in about one hundredth of the time. This is what she said. It's not true. Three words. It's not true. You are not a worthless piece of trash. You are loved by the Most High God. He died for you. He saved you. Yes, you are a sinner. And don't miss this. God hates sin. But have you ever asked why? Why does he hate sin? He hates sin because of what sin does to us. Sin destroys us. It kills us. So God hates sin, but he doesn't hate you. If you're like I was on Friday morning this week and you're having these thoughts of I'm ugly, I'm worthless, I'm anything that's from Satan, rebuke him. Tell him to go away because it's not true. And think about what God says of you. In the Bible, you know what God says of you? He says you're precious, you're beautiful. He actually says I've created you in my image, and you are a beautiful masterpiece of art. You are so beautiful, it just blows my mind. That's what God's saying about you. So don't believe the lie of Satan. Don't believe the lie of the world around us. So we place our hope in Jesus because he is the one who saves. He is the one who rescues humanity from all evilness and sinfulness. He's the one that's coming back as king of kings. He's preparing his place in heaven for us. So the band's going to come forward now. We're going to play a couple songs. We're going to take communion. I'm going to give you a chance to prayer. If you have not received Jesus into your life and, and have the ultimate hope, but know this, every one of us, everyone in this room, know this. If you are a follower of Jesus, then your hope is in him and you could be joyful just don't lose the hope don't lose the hope be joyful in him let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your grace we thank you for what you've given us you've given us freely this gift of eternal life which doesn't start when we die it starts right now our hope is in you jesus we want to be joyful in you jesus as we continue to worship you lord Help us align our hearts and mind to you. Renew our minds. Transform us into sisters and brothers, sons and daughters who live a life that loves you and loves others.